Hello, friends. Thank you all for joining in. Welcome to our seventh episode of Staying Fit One Day at a Time. Odette. My name is Migs, and I'll be your host. On today's episode, we have Denise and Melissa. They were a perfect ideal candidate couple that I wanted to get on the show for many reasons. Uh, First one being, they show how you can come from any type of past and still fall into the habits of addiction. Uh, One being exposed to alcoholism as a child, the other one not, and both still finding problems of their own with drinking. Uh, Now, Melissa and Denise are happily married. They are celebrating over 20 years sober between the two of them and have many, many, many miles ran together, uh, including 20 miles and back-to-back 10-mile runs that I saw them do this weekend, uh, just hours before releasing this episode today. So tune in and check out Denise and Melissa and hear how they're staying healthy, how they're staying fit, and how they're doing this one day at a time. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Staying Fit One Day at a Time. How you doing today? Good. How you doing, Megs? Awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show. Welcome. We have uh, Melissa and Denise today. Definitely welcome from the New England area. Where exactly? Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Nice. How's the weather out there right now? Freezing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we didn't get any snow, so that's a bonus. So far, so good then. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, where are, are you both from Cape Cod or why don't you tell us where you're from and where you grew up and. Well, I, I'm, this is Melissa. I grew up probably about an hour off of Cape Cod in a little town called Estonit. Um, I went to a little tri-town high school, graduated with about 150 kids. Um, I ended up making my way down here and I think it was right around 2002 a couple of years before the Red Sox won the World Series. And um, yeah, and I've been here ever since. I love it. A way to throw that in, by the way, because I'm a Yankees fan. I don't know if that was <laughs> Oh, yeah, perfect. Or, uh... <laughs> <laughs> All right, your and turn, Denise. I grew up on the Cape and could not wait to leave because it was a little small town uh, called Pocasset. And as soon as I was 18, I left for probably 30 years, lived in the Boston area, uh, north of Boston. And my life has come full circle. We're actually just moved back to the town I grew up in, in March. We bought a house and, um, but it's great now. Nice. Congratulations. That's awesome. That's so cool. So uh, why don't you, uh, why don't you go ahead and tell our, tell our listeners um, a little bit about uh, your childhoods growing up, were they kind of traditional normal and uh, work us up to your first drink? So this is Denise. Um, I grew up in a very large Irish Catholic family. I had brothers and sisters, uh, two parents who never drank. We never had alcohol in the house. Um, I had a trauma and it kind of turned me into a protective, not letting anyone in uh, type of person. In my teenage years, I was extremely angry. Um, And, you know, things just weren't discussed in families. And so, uh, you know, my family just knew I was angry. So, you know, I got a lot of, kind of crap from my mom and the rest of the family kind of joined in on that um just saying I was disagreeable and it it was tough and when I had my first drink at age 16 I just felt that relief and um it it was you know the first time I I knew I drank differently from the get-go Uh, my friends and I would split a six pack and then the next weekend I had the six pack alone and I was always the one to say what's going on this weekend what are we where are we partying Um, 
and always being the one to take that last drink when everybody else was done. And um, I remember, you know, one of the first times I got so, so sick, sick the whole night, sick the whole next day, and I couldn't wait to do it again because I loved that feeling. It, it made me funnier, prettier, more athletic. Um, it, it just, um, just was that relief that we all get. Yeah, it's crazy the way we trick ourselves into, uh, into thinking that we just perform better, that we're just <laughs> better people. Just whatever the case may be, we just think we do it better drinking. It's just, I don't, I don't know yeah. why that happens. It, it just does. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so 16 was your first drink? Yes. Nice. Or not nice, but... Uh... <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Melissa, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your story? So I grew up, again, I grew up in Estonia. Um, and gosh, growing up, you know, I had a really great family. My dad got sober when I was six years old. So, and I'm 46 years old now. You know, I, there was a lot of love in my family. My dad went to AA when I was a kid. So, you know, I was, a, I was one of those six-year-olds running around um, the halls of Bishop Conley High School in Fall River eating donuts and, you know, just kind of wreaking havoc in the meetings. And, um, and it, yeah, it was, it was, you know, by all, well, my dad went to treatment. Actually, I remember, I remember right before, I think my sixth birthday, I remember one day my dad coming home and sitting me on the bed and saying that he had to leave. And, um, you know, and, and I, it's funny how I, I remember this. So kids do remember a little stuff from when, when they were that young. Um, and he told me that he had to leave and he ended up going to treatment at Stepping Stone in Fall River. And, you know, I think it was, my mom told me it was only supposed to be, you know, well, in the beginning it was only going to be for about three months, but it ended up being for a year, thankfully. Um, but yeah, then he became part of a 12-step program. We had people in our house all the time. Again, my parents were very loving. I felt very loved as a child. Um, I was into sports as a kid. I was a well-liked kid. Um, when I was in, this is kind of a, when I look back, it was definitely a, a moment in my life. You know, when I was in kindergarten, I remember being on a school bus and we used to pick up this, this little kid and I ended up having a crush on this little kid and her name was Rebecca Stahl. And I remember it like it was yesterday, um, you know, and maybe not at that point, but you know, it's like kindergarten, first grade, second grade, you know, you have little Sally likes Johnny and you know, little Bobby likes Sue. Well, Melissa liked Rebecca and that didn't really fit into the plan. <laughs> that wasn't, uh, that wasn't really how things went. And I, the, the sad part is that I knew that from that young of an age that that wasn't quote normal. And, um, you know, in, in growing up, I had to kind of stifle that and I didn't know what to do with those feelings. And, and I think, you know, I was sad about it. And, um, you know, again, I was well-liked. So, you know, I was a class clown. I was a people pleaser by nature. You know, I, I didn't want to get, I never wanted to get called out for anything. So I kind of blended in a little bit when I, when I felt like I needed to. Um, I was pretty good at sports, but I would have to say that my first drink was actually when I was babysitting with my friend and she, we were babysitting at this house and the family had wine in the fridge. And I remember partaking of a little bit of wine and then another time it was a beer, but I didn't end up getting drunk until that I remember up until my sophomore year of high school. Um, we, you know, I went to Aponaquit High School, which if you're familiar with the Southeastern Massachusetts, you know, we were kind of like an empire of, uh, of softball skills. And we ended up losing and a friend of mine on the team, she, she could buy, this was before rules were so strict. This was probably like, what, 1989. And um, so she went to this little pack. Well, she asked me what I wanted and I was like a bottle of vodka. So maybe like six or seven of our teammates went over to her house. I think I ended up drinking that whole liter of vodka. I ended up peeing in my pants. I think I cried, um, all of these very embarrassing things. And like Denise, I woke up the next morning, wicked hungover. But when, once the hangover subsided, it was, when can I do this again? You know, um, because in that moment, when I was that inebriated, 
I didn't care. I didn't care about anything. I didn't care that I cried. I didn't care that I peed my pants. I didn't care that I was gay and couldn't come out. Um, I didn't care that my dad went away and I never really understood that feeling of, of abandonment. I didn't care about anything. And that was how I wanted to feel from there on out because I didn't know how to feel things properly. You know, I didn't know that you could be sad and that that's okay. I didn't know that you could feel depressed and that you could actually go to someone to talk about it and that's okay. Um, I wasn't aware of all these things. I just knew that I didn't want to feel that way and I didn't feel, you know, I didn't feel like there was a way out of getting out of those feelings unless I drank. So in that moment, that day, alcohol became my solution. Um, yeah. See, it's not just, a good solution. That's for sure. <laughs> definitely not. And this is, this is like one of the, uh, the really cool things that I was really looking forward to, uh, with this episode idea to get both of you at the same time. Um, because correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm assuming, uh, at this point into these stories, neither of you know each other at this point, you probably, no, no. okay. So, so we have two completely different stories. We have one of you growing up in a household that never had drinking in it. You have the other one growing up in a household where you were going to AA meetings and seeing a fellowship program at some points. And then, so those are completely opposite sides of the spectrum. And then for whatever reason happens to you personally, at the same age, roughly, you both find your first drink. Because um, uh, you're 16 and then a sophomore in high school, I'm assuming that's 15, 16 years yeah. oldish. So you got ballparked the, the same age and, and again, completely different sides of the way you grew up. So it, it's just really unique. And that's what I was really looking forward to uh, with this episode to kind of get those spectrums. Um, so now at that point, you're both 16 roughly when you, when you get your first drink. Um, how long... Now, maybe I'm jumping a little ahead. When, when the two of you met, were you, were you both still actively drinking or did you meet after recovery already? We met after recovery. I actually, growing up, I didn't know gay was an option. It just, it just wasn't, I kind of had feelings, but I also liked boys too. So I actually ended up getting married and having two kids and okay. two amazing kids. And we met uh during recovery we went to we used to go to a women's meeting together and uh i started to go to the gym and that's sort of how our relationship bloomed uh we would meet at the gym at five o'clock in the morning and and just kind of chat there was no we were just friends okay that's really cool yeah, um, yeah. uh and it's it's definitely interesting as well um just you know, life obviously takes just so many turns and it's just, it's crazy where we can, where we can end up. Um, so from the age of 16, uh, when did you, how, how many years was there actively drinking for each of you before, before you found a program? Did you have to try multiple times? Um, why don't you give us kind of, uh, the backdrop of the, uh, of the rough years? Uh, feel free to throw in some war stories as well, whatever you're comfortable with. Right. For me, I, you know, I, I lived in Boston in my early 20s, and I hung out with people that were older than me, you know, late 20s, I guess. And that was a big age difference back then. And so I would, I would get myself into very dangerous, compromising positions. And, um, you know, there was... I don't know how deep I'll get, but there was a night that I um, went to a Hilton in downtown Boston, or it was Copley uh, Hotel with some guy that I had just met. He was French. Uh, I took a little bit of French in high school, I guess. And <laughs> so I thought that I could have this conversation with him, which I couldn't. Um, and I ended up uh, in his hotel room with him, but and, and this is all in a total blackout. I, I had one moment of clarity where he went to the bathroom and I booked it out of there. And I went down the elevator, you know, 34s or whatever. And he had, he followed me. I ran out and jumped in a cab and he was right at the door, like chasing me. I, 
I, in my story, I say that I should be one of those people that was buried in a backyard, never to be seen again. I got into situations like that and, you know, really scary. I'm lucky to be alive. Um, well, thank God that's not the case where, uh, <laughs> where you're not in a backyard somewhere. And yeah, definitely. Fortunately, you, uh, you at least had that one come to moment to get the hell out of that hotel room. Yeah. Because, uh, God, God knows where that was going. We'd be see, we'd be watching on Dateline or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so unfortunate. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Yeah, and there was just there were a few incidents like that that I would, I I would end up with my friends when I went out. But of course, I was always looking for the better thing. So I'd end up in groups or or just with people that. I just thought looked better at that time, at that night. So I'd end up, I'd start with my friends and then I'd end up with a bunch of people I did not even know. Um, and that happened a lot. And then, you know, when, when I ended up uh, getting married, I, I worked at a brokerage firm and my ex-husband was a general manager there and he was married we had an attraction and there was definitely a huge age difference. Um, he was actually 15 years older than me. And for a couple of years, we kind of flirted and whatnot. Um, during that time, I, I think I was employed for two months there. We had a Christmas party. I wasn't even drinking age and I was drinking. Um, I, I was with a friend who was she, she was told, do not let me drink, drive home. Of course, I insisted on driving home. I, I later heard actually uh, that night I had given my boss the finger oh, um, at one point. And <laughs> I drove home and I was in Jamaica Plain and I hit two parked cars. And thank God no one was hurt but me. And I ended up in a hospital for at least a good day. No one knew where I was. My family didn't know where I was. They must've just gone through the phone book and called every single hospital in Boston, you know? And that was probably my first jackpot. And I had uh, family members who were police officers. So somehow that got squashed. So I really never had consequences and I should have. So. I keep doing what I was doing. The one lesson I learned was don't drink and drive. So I'd always con people into driving or, you know, my ex-husband, I'd say, can you drop me off at such and such a place? I'm going to meet my uh, friends. And he would always accommodate that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy too. And it's like the, the one thing that we, seem to learn and it's uh the, the one common thing i'm getting in quite a few of these episodes is we all get in like crazy situations with driving and then we just think all right cool don't drink and drive anymore and it's yeah. better it's like we think that's like an answer in so many situations like so many people have that one common thing where it's like oh well i crashed the car and no one was hurt so i would make sure i started ubering or yeah. i would get dropped off and it's just like oh that's all i had to do and no there's way more than that we just dodge bullets that one time yeah yeah um, yeah, um, Melissa, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your story? So after that whole incident when I was a sophomore in high school, you know, I, um, I know a lot of people's stories are like, you know, I started hanging out with the wrong crowd, blah, 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 blah. Well, I hung out with all the people that were in like the honor society and, and kind of like the, you know, the, the do-gooders. But we were all, I, call, I called our group the educated hoodlums because we would drink and wreak havoc on our, in our town. Like, like now it's really mean things. You know, we would play mailbox baseball. We would egg people's houses. We would steal street signs, all of this, all of it's that. All the stuff, stuff that teenagers did. Oh, totally, totally. Um, you know, and, and in life, part of, you know, I, I've learned that part of being an adult child of an alcoholic is following through with things, making goals, making long-term goals is harder to do. Um, and I definitely, you know, looking back, I realized that when I was in high school, you know, people would ask me, what, you know, what's your plan? Are you going to go to college? And I'd be like, I, I don't know. I don't know. But um, I was able to, what I started doing was just taking the next funnest thing that came down the pike. You know, I, I didn't have any plans to go to college, but I ended up getting recruited to a small division three school at the time it was called North Adams State. 
and I didn't have any other plans. So off to college I went come September, you know, after I graduated. And, uh, and that was the point that I was like, you know what, I'm not, I wasn't under my parents' roof. You know, and mind you, my parents, they never lectured me about anything. My dad was never like, I'm an alcoholic. You need to, you need to watch the way you drink. You know, you're blah, 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 blah. I would come home, you know, I've definitely come home drunk. But, um, you know, I think that they understood that my path was going to be my path. And when I went, when I got to college, it was like no holds barred. You know, I had no one watching me. And, um, you know, I could drink the way I wanted to. And basically what I did with, at North Adams State was I played softball. Sometimes I went to class. Um, I played a lot of hacky sack and I drank. Um, you know, and when I was a junior, I ended up getting put on academic suspension and I was at the bursar's office looking at, I think I was looking at the bill, I don't even know why, but I saw this pamphlet for a new program, a new federally um, funded program called AmeriCorps. And I was looking at it and I was like, that looks interesting. That looks like something I might like to do. And so I applied and I found out on my 21st birthday that I got accepted to this AmeriCorps program. It's called the AmeriCorps National Civilian Community Corps. And it's kind of like a domestic Peace Corps program. And I could decide which campus I wanted to go to. There are six different campuses around the United States. And, um, and I chose to go to Denver. So that October, I'm flying out to Denver. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, new start, new Melissa, you know, nobody's going to know me. Because all my friends were getting a little bit tired of me. You know, I, I would, uh, you know, they all, like I said, we all drank, but I always drank more. You know, I was always the one saying, you know, do we have to go home? Where's the after hours? All of those types of things. You, you know, had already they, become that person by this Exactly, point. exactly. And I, you know, it's funny, when I was in college, I didn't understand. We would all party together, but they were able to go to class and I couldn't. <laughs> I was not able to function, um, you know, and, and, you know, now I'm not surprised by that, but, <laughs> you know. And so I went out to Colorado for a couple of years. You know, you know, we know how it goes. Um, geographical cures don't, they just don't work. You know, I, I didn't lose, I didn't lose my shit there. Um, but I did, um, you know, I, I did a lot of drinking and so you can do the AmeriCorps program for two years. And I signed up for a second year, but in that interim, it was 1996. So we had a team, they had special teams go down to help with security at the, at the Atlanta Olympics. So I, I opted in because I didn't want to go home in, before the next AmeriCorps thing. So I opted into that and, um, and I went down to Georgia for three months and we did some community service projects. I was the head of my AmeriCorps team at the field hockey venue, which was crazy security. But uh, what, I, what happened though was when we first got down there, we were put in, we lived in these dorms and it was a bunch of people between the ages of 18 to 24 because that's what AmeriCorps is. And there was probably like two teams from all the other campuses. So we all lived in this elementary school on bunk beds. And, um, and in the first week, a, a few of us went down to a place called Buckhead. And where in, on Buckhead, when you go into Buckhead, it's like bar, 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 bar. You know, and, and there are people walking around with um, fish bowls of grain alcohol, all this craziness. Well, I ended up in a blackout and that was the first time that I actually got scared by my drinking. And I think it was because I was in a place I didn't know with a bunch of people that I didn't know. But I, um, one of the people that went with me from Denver, I asked if she would come with me to a meeting. And that was actually the first time that I went to an AA meeting for myself. Um, it was in Atlanta and it was in a, it was in a like a business complex in an office space. And I remember walking in with those office lights and, you know, there was all these people in there and I sat down. I don't, I have no idea what they said, but I remember looking around and saying to myself, I am not like any of these people, you know, at the time I didn't, I didn't know about the whole, you know, identify, don't compare type of thing. So I left, I didn't drink for the rest of those three months, which was absolutely amazing. Um, so we went to the Olympics, went to the Paralympics games, absolutely amazing. You know, I went home for a little bit and then I went back to Denver, you know, wrapped up that, that part of AmeriCorps. And I, I ended up staying out in Denver for another couple, for actually another four-ish years. 
um, if you've ever been to Denver or whoever lives in Denver, then unlike Massachusetts where, you know, back in the 90s, we still had the blue laws and the blue laws were, you know, there's no drink specials, there's no alcohol on Sundays, all those archaic laws that we had back then. You know, in Denver, it was, um, you, you know, you would throw a dart at the dartboard and if it's black, you get your drink for free. If it's red, you pay a dollar, you know, all these phenomenal wow. drink specials to encourage <laughs> you to drink more and more and more, which I 100% um, utilized. So I was dating someone at that time and, and I had just bought a, a, a Jeep Wrangler, which was about probably about three weeks prior. And um, this person that I'm dating and I, we go out, we go out to this bar because it's women drink free for the first hour. And uh -oh. I was like, you know what? Oh, this is, this is my heyday. And so we get there and, you know, the next thing I know, I'm driving home in my fairly new Jeep Wrangler that I had for, you know, three weeks and I'm getting pulled over. And I, that's where I got my first and thankfully only OUI. And, um, you know, from there, I had to do alcohol classes. You know, my mother ended up passing away at, right before I got home um, for my 26th birthday, I ended up going to her funeral on my 26th birthday. You know, and, and what it comes down to still is that, you know, I drink over people, places, things, and feelings. You know, I, I didn't have any coping skills. I didn't have any tool in my toolbox to help me from that first drink. You know, and again, because I had none of that, you know, I just, when I needed to get out of how I was feeling, I just went straight to the bottle. Um, you know, I don't know how much you want me to go into my whole story, but, you know, from there, my mom passed away. You know, I, I tried to commit suicide. I ended up doing a psych stint for a week. Um, I, I enrolled in a, um, a, a SOAP program, which is a structured outpatient addiction program that I ended up quitting you know, just all the stuff. I just wasn't ready. You know, I, I started trying to go to meetings, but you know, I would go to them. I wouldn't, I wouldn't raise my hand and introduce myself. I wasn't talking to anybody. I would go with like a journal and I would be journaling while people are speaking, um, all of this stuff, you know, at the end I would, you know, I would try to go to meetings and I would go home and, and not really get anything out of it. And then it was, I would stop at the packy or the package store. <laughs> um, I would stop at the packy and I would get the, I would get one of those large cans of fosters and I would go to the meeting and I would sit in the parking lot and I would ponder, am I going to, am I going to go in or am I going to drink the beer? Am I going to go in? And in the beginning it was, you know, I would, I toss the beer out a couple times. I tossed the beer out, but you know, this isn't this, this substance abuse disorder, this disease isn't, can't be controlled by willpower. And, you know, and I wasn't going to be able to will myself out of not drinking that beer. You know, it's like, it's like trying to play with the devil. The devil's going to win. So eventually I ended up drinking. Um, you know, it was, uh, I was just getting sicker and sicker. And um, so my mom's birthday was July 30th. And, um, you know, and I, and I tried to stop drinking for a while. And, you know, it was, you know, I didn't really know about the whole treatment thing, even though my dad went to treatment, he wasn't like, you know, I think you need to go to the treatment again. He never really, he never really suggested or advised me to do anything. Um, so the morning of the 30th, I woke up and, you know, like many of our stories, I woke up thinking, you know, I'm not going to drink today. I'm not going to drink today. You know, the days rolling along. I lived with, I rented a house with this kid. Um, who drank and the guy who owned the house, he was a professor of Italian. He was, he was there. He lived in a little, like a, like an in-law apartment attached to the house, you know, and he made some dinner and he asked, I think he asked if I wanted some wine or something like that because he did he had no idea what was going on. And I said, yes. And you know, it's like, as soon as that happens, the obsession, the compulsion, all of those things happened. And, um, you know, and what I remember is being in a gray out, um, you know, at this time, you know, my, my disease was definitely more, 
um, in my head than physical. You know, I don't feel like I was physically addicted to alcohol, but but just in my my brain was just messed up. You know, I, I wasn't really I wasn't really talking to people. Like I would I I was a I'd have to you know, label myself as kind of a high functioning alcoholic. I was still able to go to work. I would talk to people at work, but when I would get home, it was like I entered the world of my brain and all, you know, like I would talk to myself incessantly, all of those crazy squirrely thoughts. Um, you know, so I had taught myself how to dig clams at night because I had this strong, intonation inkling that at some point I was going to be homeless. So when I would drive around, I would kind of scout out places that if I was homeless, where I could be safe and stay. And then I taught myself how to get food and that would be clamming at night because I don't know why I wouldn't do it during the day. But <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I have to keep my options open. Um, yeah. So I was driving down Craigville Beach Road, uh, which is in Centerville on the Cape. And I remember these two kids on the, on the Cape, we have a lot of kids that come over from places like Ireland and other countries because they make good money in the summer and then they go back after the summer's over. Um, so I remember these kids walking down the street. I remember picking them up. I remember one of them pulling out a bottle of rum. And uh, the next thing I know is I'm waking up on, it felt like a slab of like metal. Uh, with this brown scratchy blanket in the same light that I remember being in that office space room, just those really obnoxious lights. And I open my eyes and I'm in jail. And the, you know, the instant thoughts of, you know, the getting sick to my stomach, you know what, Melissa, you did it again. You know, you did it again. And that was happening so often where, you know, wake up in the morning, not drinking, by night you're drunk. And I didn't know if I killed somebody. I didn't know if I totaled my car. I didn't know what the officer knew. I didn't know if I didn't owe you why. But the officer came to the cell. And, and I had another run in with the police. And, you know, the Barnstable police have always been so incredibly kind to me. And he said, do you want to go home? And at that time, the house that I lived in was 1.7 miles away from the police station. So he said, you know, do you want to go home? And I was a hot mess. I'm sure I was still boohooey over, you know, my mom's birthday, me being in this whole situation. Uh, and I said, yeah. And he let me walk home that day. And I was only PC'd. And that was when I had my first spiritual awakening. Um, you know, that's when I had reached the bottom that I needed to reach for me to be able to move forward in my life. And, you know, I, I, I gave up. I gave up. And I called my dad, you know, and I, and I know that he probably had said at some point, Melissa, you need to start, you need to go to a meeting. But he said, I think it's time you need to go to a meeting. And it was like I had heard it for the first time. And, um, you know, and that's, that was the start of, I went to a meeting that night, had no idea, no recollection of what they said. But um, I went to a meeting that Sunday morning and I was introduced to the, to the right people and that was the start of, of, you know, the new journey, the new Melissa. And, you know, a lot of people, what I hear a lot, and it's so awesome is that, you know, I, I have my life before I got sober and then I, now I have my life in recovery. And how amazing it is that we can have two lives. We have, can have two lives in one lifetime, you know, to live. And, and it's just, it's been an amazing journey and it still is an amazing experience, so. Great. So that's what it was up until my last drink. A hundred percent. And it's, uh, I, I swear we're given more than two lives because mm, some of these yeah. bullets we dodge, man. We, I mean, we, we heard a couple stories here right now where, you know, this, this interview could in theory never even be happening because all three of us have had situations where we could be dead right now. So yep. it's, it's yep. just, yeah, we, we're definitely given more than uh, more than uh, one chance for sure. And it's, it's just so beautiful we, when we can finally take advantage of it. And uh, I recently heard something that you reminded me of as well. And it's uh, someone said, and I, I can't remember who I heard this from. So I can't, I don't remember who to give credit for the quote, but it said rock bottom isn't an event or a place or a certain thing. It's when you stop fucking digging. Yeah. And right. uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. when I, when I heard that, I was like, wow, like it just, it was just, it was so powerful to hear. And um, it's, it's, it's so true because we, we have different bottoms. Um, For some people it's, 
death of family members. For some people, it's long jail sentences. For some people, it's, you know, looking at their children. For some people, it's a spiritual awakening. Whatever it is, just hopefully it works for us. Yep. Um, Denise, why don't you tell us a little bit um, about getting into your first meeting and kind of when you had that same moment? Okay. So it's, it's really interesting. Um, we, Melissa and I have complete polar opposite lives. We never would have met but for this program. I was the soccer mom with two kids, husband who was a lawyer. We had nice cars in the driveway, a huge house. So everything looked good on the outside. Inside, I was a complete mess. Um, what happened was I became everything I said I wasn't going to do. I used to drink on, you know, Thursdays were a good night to drink. And then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, then it became Wednesday. And then I, before I knew it, I became a daily drinker. And, but I wouldn't start drinking till, you know, maybe two o'clock, three o'clock when the kids got home from school, settle them down with their homework. Um, but then I started, I became a morning drinker. I drank as soon as I woke up. I'd go downstairs, pour myself a vodka and seltzer. And I was drinking before the kids even got on the school bus. So I, it was something that I, my kids did not want to be around me. My family started intervening. They, you know, one of my sisters had said, I'll go to a meeting with you if, if you go. And I knew that if I went to a meeting, then I'd have to do something about it. So, and I knew that I was an alcoholic also, but if I said it out loud, I would have had to do something about it. So, uh, the, you know, so I ended up going into treatment uh, twice in a matter of two months. The first time I went into treatment, I said, I needed help. I was upstairs in my room, ironing all my clothes to go into treatment. Um, because I guess I thought I was going on vacation or something. Um, and then, you know, two months later, I hit an even lower bottom and I'm going into treatment with a pair of jeans and I think two shirts packed in a bag. So the progression is, is that quick. And so, uh, you know, I, I went to my first meeting, uh, when I finally made the commitment after the second time in treatment, I knew that I couldn't live like that anymore. I knew that something had to change and that would have been everything had to change. So I chased meetings like I chased alcohol. I would get up, I'd find all my meetings. I'd, I'd go to a 7.30 meeting, I'd go to a noon meeting and I'd go to a night meeting. Um, I remember one of the meetings, I am so, even though I have GPS, I can't even follow GPS. I, I'm geogra geographically challenged. So I, I had a hard time finding meetings directionally wise. So I remember going to one um, at, at the Salvation Army in Hyannis. And, you know, at that time I, I got a sponsor right away. And she said, you know, go to meetings, get phone numbers, introduce yourself, tell people you're new. And so I sit at this table in the Salvation Ar Army and you know, people are coming in with their bags. And so I'm sitting there and I'm introducing myself and you know, going around talking to people. And you know, it got to be around noontime. And I said, Does, when, doesn't the meeting start at noon? And they're all looking at me and they said, we're here for lunch. <laughs> and it was just <laughs> mortifying, but I did. I chased meetings like, like I chased my alcohol. So once I made the commitment, I made the commitment. Um, and I started going to this sandwich Sunday meeting, which was my home group and Melissa's home group also. And so Melissa's mom died of COPD. And so she was really, really against smoking. And at that time I was smoking a pack and a half a day of cigarettes and I'm outside at the break smoking and I see her come out and she really caught my eye and I'm looking at her and she's waving her hand in front of her face, you know, trying to block out the smoke. And I'm thinking like, what a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so she did what, 
you know, what alcoholics do. She welcomed the newcomer. My sponsor made me go up and get a chip every month. And I remember it was, you know, maybe my two months. She's sitting in the back and she stood up as I'm coming down that walk of shame and said, hi, Denise, my name's Melissa. Congratulations. And it was just, it made me feel so good because getting chips for me was, you know, my sponsor said it's humbling, but it was humility. It was humiliating for me. I, I hated doing it, but um, it's, you know, it's one of the things that saved me is by doing that because then people started to get to know me. People would talk to me and that's where the fellowship came in. Um, so cool that's so cool yeah and I, I was gonna ask too how you guys like how it was like meeting in a meeting or kind of like being in the beginning and you kind of like answered that as well um but that's that's so cool because she was kind of like there in the beginning of your sobriety as well um because yeah. if i if i looked at the dates correctly uh melissa at this point you should have been about three years sober right yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. Um, which is really cool too, because I want to point out um, uh, early on in the in the the ODAT podcast, uh, Melissa, you are our uh, our veteran uh, sober person. Uh, you have you have the most time of anybody I've interviewed on the show yet so far, um, with 13 years. Uh, so that is really really cool, and definitely um, shout out 13 years sober, 23 years sober between the two of them. This is absolutely amazing, people. Um, what you're getting to hear right now. And it's just like, so, so much wisdom. This is, this is, I mean, these, these are OGs of the game as I like to call it out here. Like these are, these are the people that have, have been around them. I, I, I learned early on in the meetings, they said uh, like when you pick a sponsor um, to, to pick somebody who has what you want. And, you know, I, I could say that if I was just walking into a meeting, um, if, if I was, you know, trying to come in and stay sober, just hearing what the two of you are saying, like, that's, that's exactly what I want, just like that passion for it. And um, I get to see the post as well, just seeing how active you guys are in meetings and with your sobriety It's just, it's so, so cool. It seems like you, you really, really work uh, a phenomenal program, both of you. Yeah. Um, and it seems cool because you, you get to do that together, um, yeah. which is, which is rare. It's like scary and rare. Cause like, so many people, I, I think about it all the time, like to, for one addict to date another, it's like, I always think it's gotta be terrifying. Cause in the first few years, I always think like, if one slips up, does the other slip up or do they help yeah. them get it back together? Or like some of those things are like, it, it's, it's crazy to think about, but it's, it's just so cool that the two of you are just like, just rocking this shit out and just <laughs> so amazing. One thing that I, I need to interject is that if you go to 12-step meetings, then you might know that the suggestion is that you wait a year before you begin dating someone. And we waited a year. Nice. <laughs> Down to the day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because, <laughs> because that's what the suggestion was, you know, and, and we didn't, and I wasn't going to be, if, if anyone knows the term 13th step, I wasn't going to be a 13th stepper. Okay. You know, and that's, that's when a person with, you know, kind of a, a little bit more with more recovery dates a newcomer. I wasn't going to be that person, you know, and also because, you know, Denise needed time to kind of really embrace the program, get into her, get into what it's going to look like for her. And I wasn't about to mess with that, you know, because relationships aren't easy. Never mind relationships when you're in early recovery. So I just needed to add that. Yes, 100%. 100%. And uh, I, I was going to, I'll be honest with you, I was going to ask that, but I didn't want to I didn't want to put that out there because I know that whole one year thing as well. So I didn't want to like bring up a question that you didn't want to answer, but I'm, yep. I'm glad you threw that in there as well. So definitely all of our listeners, make sure you hear that part as well is very, very important. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, now um, we, we got through uh, all of the, uh, the interesting un unfortunate slash uh, the, uh, the background stuff. So let's get into the uh, fun stuff. Let's get into stuff that keeps yeah. us fit, keeps us healthy. Um, what we're all here for now, now that we know the past, let's talk about the, the present and the future. Um, so when did, when did running start? And uh, I, the, the two of you are always running together, which is so awesome. Yeah. Um, so how did that start? Why don't you tell us um, like some of your, uh, your long distances? What is your, your longest running accomplishment? Go ahead and uh, just go on a tear and tell us about your running careers together. 
so so to start it was you know you're you're in recovery you work in a program so you're in inside start getting healthy well for both of us you know in the relationship i was heavy to begin with when i came in the program so i was 60 pounds overweight i was pre-diabetic i had high blood pressure my cholesterol was through the roof and you know when i got that report i'm like damn it i'm not I didn't get sober to be, you know, die unhealthy. So I started um, kind of running by myself because Melissa didn't want anything to do with it. And, you know, I did the couch to 5K. And honestly, I, it probably took me, it feels like it took me more than a year to even run a 5K. I hated every minute of it. Um, but I knew I, I was feeling better. I started, you know, losing weight. That always feels good. My numbers came down. Um, and then from there, you, you can jump in about. So when I first got sober, um, I was actually running a little bit at that time. And then, you know, we hear it in the, in I don't think there's a commercial. It's like a body at rest stays at rest. A body in motion stays in motion. Well, I stopped and I never and I didn't start again. So I want to say, so Denise and I got together and um I I ended up gaining, God, probably like 30 pounds in a year and a half or so. And Denise started getting healthy. And Denise would say, I'm going to the gym today. Do you want to come with me? And I would be in my brain and excuse me, I'd be like, fuck no. And I would get an instant resentment against her. <laughs> You're pretty much um, finding what she was losing at that point. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and then one day, God, now I was probably like 50 pounds up. I gained a lot of weight in a, in a small period of time. Denise said to me, <clears throat> Well, I don't know. We must have been together for like what, six years? Ago? Yeah, we had been together. And um, so I'm a little bit older than Melissa. And I, and I said, I don't want to grow old together and not be active. I always want to be active and as healthy as we can be. So that must have, yeah. So that was, that was like the shot to the heart that I needed. Um, and, and that was kind of like my wellness bottom you know, is, is Denise saying that? And that was the motivator to get me going again, because I wanted to stay active too. And I didn't want to be, you know, the couple that sits home on the couch and, you know, stereotypical, whatever. So Denise had joined Planet Fitness. And so I joined Planet Fitness and I need, so in my head, I need to have a start and a finish to some things. And especially in terms of working out, because I was fit earlier. So in my brain, I was going to go to the gym and I was going to pick up where I left off. And that wasn't the case. So that was my first, my first error was having, and we all know this, is having an expectation. And what happens when you have expectations, most often you're going to get let down. So that was my first mistake. So what I did was we joined Planet Fitness. I joined Planet Fitness. And I knew that if I did the 30-minute circuit, that it would be 30 minutes, I would get a workout and that was my start and that was my finish and I'd be able to go home. So that's where my fitness journey began. It's Planet Fitness, 30 minutes, 30 minutes a day. Then after a while, I would incorporate walking on the treadmill and then doing the circuit and then being able to be done. And then I started jogging a little bit and going to the 30 minute circuit. And then what happened is, you know, we would start going to the gym after work and a little by slow, you know, we would start doing 5Ks and I would run some and then I would end up having to walk. But, but again, it was that start and the finish. And I loved, and I remember how much I loved having so uh, other people around. And it's kind of like when you go to 12-step meetings, everybody's there trying to accomplish the same thing. Absolutely. When you go to runs, you know, these 5K, 10K, you know, whatever, you have people there and they're all trying to do the same thing. They're all trying to finish the race. So I love that. I'm, I am definitely a team person and that's what motivates me. So after a while, you know, I, I started running. Um, I started getting, I started losing weight. I started feeling more comfortable in my skin. You know, it's kind of like I had two rear ends and, and after the second rear end, you know, I was able to get that off. You know, running was so much easier. And when it became easier, I became, <laughs> I was able to enjoy it more. 
and then, you know, and then I started doing well in, you know, during these 10 Ks and stuff. And I, you know, um, I started to enjoy it more and more. And as we progressed, you know, running offers so much more than just staying physically fit. You know, today we ran 12 miles. We were out running for over two, two hours. You know, it was kind of, it's kind of like, I can't, I get a, a sense of peace from it. You know, I'm able to, I don't know. It's um, kind of mindfulness gets set in. Um, I'm able to just think clearly, you know, okay. And we run four seasons. So if, you know, we're dressed properly, like today, I was very, very comfortable running in probably 32 degrees weather. Yeah, freezing temperatures. And, um, you know, you just, you can kind of go inward and I can, and I can be inward now. Before I couldn't be in my head because it was the, the rat race. It was the squirrel cage. It was all of those things, you know, all those obsessive thinking. Now I can be alone in my head for two hours because we talk, we run at a pace that, you know, we can talk comfortably, but we don't talk a lot. We, we talk every now and again, but most of the time I'm just in my head and thinking and brainstorming. And I don't know, it's just, it's just amazing. What I, what I've, the benefits that I've reaped from running are so much more than I could ever imagine. And I'm so grateful to have been, to have found it, you know? It's interesting too that you know when you tell people you're a runner, there's a lot of positives there. But like in a workplace, like oh, it's so bad for your knees and blah blah blah, and you know you're gonna you're not gonna be able to run for long. And so my answer now to them is, why do why do I run? I run because it fills my soul. How can you argue with that? How can you say anything negative about that? It, it, it is like, we'll start running together. We'll start talking at the beginning. And then we're both completely alone in our thoughts where it's very meditative. It's, you know, just as we each have our own recovery, we don't get involved in each other's recovery. It's very separate. And so that's kind of like our running. We're running together, but we're in different thoughts. It's, I, when I run, I do my best thinking. I can um, usually figure out situations. It might take me a few runs to do that, but it's, it's extremely meditative. And, you know, they say, you know, when you pray, you're speaking to your higher power. When you're meditating, you're listening. And that's, I get the answers from doing that. Yeah, that is a, uh... That's, that's pretty much exactly how I feel when I'm, when I'm running out there. Just really like me, my miles are meetings to me. Um, it's, yep. it's just, you're really out there and you just can really just, you can get, get a lot accomplished in your brain and with yourself and with your thoughts. Um, yep. How many, what, what would you say a percentage or how many meetings and uh, runs do the two of you do together? I know you said you work your own recovery programs and you do, and you kind of stay quiet a little bit when you're running, but do you do you go to a lot of meetings and a lot of your runs physically together? Yes. Yeah, it's kind of like one of those things we do as a couple that and that's what's great. It's hard to find something that you can do as a couple. You know, we're really lucky in in having a relationship in recovery. It's an extreme open and honest relationship because you can't hide behind anything. So it's one of the things we both enjoy and it's great. We can enjoy it together, but separately. Uh, we each have our own races that we run. We don't run together during races. Melissa is faster than me. <laughs> um, I was, I'm, but, I'm not going to lie. I was going to ask the question. <laughs> yeah, 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 she's faster. So when we run, yeah, we run five times a week and we do run together. But a lot, most of the time, Melissa's a little ahead of me. And, um, you know, we started out in, in racing. It's, it's kind of like the, the addict alcoholic. You're always looking for the next better thing. So we started out with 5Ks, 10Ks, and we did a half marathon uh, during COVID. Right before COVID, we had started training for our first marathon in, say, November. Or actually, it was January. And so we were going to run our first marathon in May. And it was the Providence Marathon. And so COVID happened, of course it was canceled. So we decided that we follow our training program 
you know, we were going to stick to the plan and still run it. So, you know, Melissa made us these bibs, uh, Cape Cod, Providence Marathon on Cape Cod. We had a whole group of people, some ran with us, some just supported us from the sidelines. But we did, you know, the 26.2, and it was an amazing experience. It was um, something that... It, it felt like such an accomplishment. You know, when I started out running, I couldn't run five minutes, never mind five hours. Um, and so, so we ran a marathon in May and we again ran a marathon in October. And now we're training for our first ultra marathon because we just want to get better and we just want to keep challenging ourselves physically. That's, that's so cool. I remember, uh, I remember seeing, um, I believe, I, how long have you guys been in the, uh, the ODAT page? Since the beginning. I, I, I thought so. I thought so. Cause I remember back in May, I feel like I remember, I remember that homemade marathon. Cause that was right yeah. around the time that, um, that was right before I did my, um, little homemade 10 K as well for, uh, for my two years sober. Yeah. Um, yep. And I remember seeing it too, because I, I believe that um, watching how much was put into yours um, from like at home arts and crafts kind of made me like <laughs> really like jealous and like motivated to kind of have that really like at home, like that real race environment. It was so cool yeah. because my family was able to come through and uh, my mom made a lot of that happen um, along with my wife and sister. But it was so cool because there's so many people out there doing it. And it's just, man, we, we, it's so, it's so important to realize like when we were actively drinking, we always found ways to drink. We always found yeah. ways to get the bottle. We always found ways to do this and do that. So why not find ways to keep running and keep racing? Why make excuses? Um, if we find reasons to do one thing, why not find reasons to do the other? Because um, yeah. we know if we were actively drinking right now, we wouldn't let a closed liquor store or a closed beer store stop us from drinking. We'd figure yeah. something yeah. out. Exactly. Um, that's, that's just beyond cool. Um, and then, uh, as I get towards like the, uh, the end of episodes, I do have a, a few random questions I asked, but I'm, I'm throwing in, I'm throwing in a surprise one for you guys. Um, this question was, it, it, it was started just for you guys. Cause if anybody follows you on Facebook, um, they know that you are connoisseurs. I see the look on your face. You know where this is going, Melissa. <laughs> you can throw down a pizza. Yes. So uh, where, all right, top, uh, let's keep this fair, top three pizzas. Oh, man. Oh, God. Someone's oh. business is about to get plugged, so turn your yeah, volume yeah, up. I know. God, yeah. There's Paul's Pizza and Falman, right? Yep. And then, wait, was it? we should have, we should have written them down. Yeah. I should have told what? you this question oh, was coming. Oh, there was, um, Paul's, wasn't there Mike's? Yeah. Mike's Pizza. So Mike, who I think knew each other. So yeah. those are both in Falmouth. And then. Oh, oh. Dino's? Yeah. Dino's and Mashby. Yeah. Dino's okay. and Mashpee, which Dino's also has phenomenal uh, chicken tenders. <laughs> You're a chicken tender fan. <laughs> have you have you ever had a New Have you ever had pizza in New York, like New York style pizza? Does is, oh, yeah. is Massachusetts is pizza better out there for you guys? Well, we have this one friend who's like, "There's no good places on Cape Cod to get a pizza." So, according to him, who he's probably had pizza everywhere, there's no good places. But I think that Tomatoes is yeah. There's there's a couple of small restaurants here that have pretty good yeah. pizza. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, so no, we, we like pizza before the long run for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's, it's so cool too. Cause again, it's very important for uh, all of our listeners to know that even when they find a pizza, they don't like, it doesn't go to waste. Exactly. It still gets finished. <laughs> they just don't get it again. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, give us uh, any, any fun, embarrassing um, run or workout stories you want to share. Um, God, you know, just, well, when I was running the Hyannis half marathon, when I had to go to the bathroom real bad. Yeah. And then people got mad. Do people get mad because I had to go to the bathroom and I went behind 
the barn. Oh yeah, yeah. So <laughs> she went, she ran and went behind this barn. And little did she know that she was pretty much in full sight. So people <laughs> people were watching and you know, kind of laughing. And a couple of people got really annoyed, which whatever. Um yeah. I didn't, you know, Uda Pivik, right? And what happened to her? I was not going to let that happen to me. <laughs> yeah, I, it's it's crazy. There's a. I was just listening to um, right before COVID when they were doing the uh, the marathon trials. Um, I forget who the uh, the guy's name was, but um, someone that was trying out for the American marathon team uh, said halfway through he really had to go to the bathroom, yeah. and he said he he had to do a number two, and he said yeah. he spent the yeah. next couple miles debating whether whether the the sitting in his stomach would slow him down enough like what he would be whether he would be able to finish faster by going to the bathroom or by dealing with it yeah. and he said he made the decision to uh to to go to the bathroom and he said it, it cost him the marathon he said if he had to do that again he'd probably just shit on himself and keep going oh and he would have been able God. to make it to the olympics <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's there's nothing worse than that though, for real. I'm not gonna lie though, if you told me right, like I, I, I mean, I'm always stopping in the porter potty, but if you told me right now, if I was ten minutes from the finish line and you told me go on yourself and you're going to the Olympics, hey, all everything I'm wearing is going in the trash and I'm going yeah. to the Olympics. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I, I think any one of us would would tear that. I mean, as runners, we we deal with some stuff, um, but uh. Any uh, any fun athletes, or I should say, uh, give me a couple athletes that you look up to that inspire you, motivate you. Oh gosh, what's her name that won the the Boston Marathon? Oh, gosh, Desi. Yeah. What's her name? Who won the the woman who won the Boston Marathon? She's a pretty big inspiration. Okay. As uh, yeah, Des. Yeah, and then uh, Hal Higdon too is. We, we usually follow his programs for the marathon. Um, I really like him a lot. Beginning runners, if you don't know who they're mentioning, uh, Hal Higdon is a very accomplished OG in the running game. He has a lot of training plans out there that you can get for free. Um, there's yep. Higdon methods. There's, there's a lot of cool stuff out there that you can get on a free version from him. Yeah, we, we just watched a documentary yesterday about – I. Hall. I don't know if his first name is Mike Hall, but Ryan Hall. Ryan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you see uh, that? Are you good. talking about? Are you talking about the one on? Uh, I think it was on Amazon Prime. It's yeah. the spiritual yeah. one. We watched that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where he, uh, he, he turned to, uh, he turned to faith. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That. Um. I'm only. I'm about halfway through it, but yeah, that is that. That was very, very powerful as well. I started that one, and uh, I. I remember I was kind of busy. I was going to just watch it to doze off and uh, yeah. I, I couldn't fall asleep. And I was like, all right, I got to turn this off because I actually want to watch this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, Another big really documentary cool. we watched last night too was RX Run. And it was, it's about a, a guy who started working with youth. He's a running coach. And how he started this running team of, of young adults and maybe some adults too, who have um, anxiety and depression and how it's helped them. That was, that was a short documentary and really good called RX Run. Yeah, I checked that one out as well. I'll tell you too, on, a, on Prime Video, I found it one time. I forget what, what movie or running, something I watch related to running. And Prime Video is like super yeah. good about like giving you like suggestions under yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, one day I literally went down this two hour rabbit hole where I would click on a movie and add it to my watch list. And then every time it would bring up other stuff. And then I ended up with probably at least, I'm not even exaggerating, probably 50 or 60 titles of different like yeah. documentaries and movies of just all kinds of stuff, sports related, some true, some not true. I'm still going through all of it. Um, I yeah. saw that RX run. Uh, there was a really cool one where they're like, they're trying to chase, um, I think antelopes or they're, they're, they're chasing, they're chasing an animal and, it's like an endurance run. They're like trying to track it. And like when they figured out a, a, they're pretty much going to have to run like 20 to 50 miles in one day to circle in this animal. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool. You guys should check that one out. But um, yeah, yeah, it was, it was really, really cool to have you guys on the show or have you ladies on the show today. Oh, yeah. um, Thank you. It, it's just so awesome to have 23 years of sobriety. Um, I just thought it was a really cool concept to get, um, uh, a married couple, running couple, recovery yeah, couple, mm -hmm. just you, you, you check all the boxes uh, <laughs> for this interview. And it was, it was just really cool to get all of that perspective. Um, 
we, we are miracles and it, it's just so yeah. so cool seeing two miracles like work together and it's it's just so inspiring so inspirational um anybody out there um if when when you're listening to this and when you're listening back to um one thing i really really wanted to wait till the end to point out um melissa pointed out uh sitting outside in meetings a couple times uh with a bottle or whatever was in her hand and deciding to go into the meeting or drink the bottle um I hate to tell people how to like work their program or whatnot, but I always say one thing I heard in the beginning, pick up a phone before you pick up a drink. Yeah. Um, just, it just really, really, uh, just one of the things that really, really helps. Um, but it was, it was a pleasure to have you on here. Thank you so, so much. Um, good luck on the ultra that you're training for. Keep posting pictures and videos. Thanks, thanks. Um, you're, you're, you're what ODAT nation is all about. Um, <laughs> just a true example. And thank you so, so much. And just have a great day. And, uh, thank Oh, you. just make thank sure you, you. Uh, stay, Stay healthy, stay fit, yes, and uh, yeah. tell tell me how how many days at a time you're doing it. Just one, one day at a time. Odat Nation. There we go. Hey, good luck with your marathon too. We'll see you in Boston. It's only about an hour from here. Yeah. Oh, we're oh yeah, we're definitely setting some up. We're definitely linking up, and uh, you're gonna have to show me some good pizza out there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'll talk to you, ladies, soon. Well, thank, thank you. Thanks, See ya. I want to thank you both so much again for being on today's episode. Uh, for all of our listeners, uh, you can check out our Facebook page, Staying Fit O-D-A-A-T, stands for Staying Fit One Day at a Time. Uh, the group is now climbing up to almost 300 members, uh, all sharing their experience, strength, and hope, as well as their fitness journeys. Please come check us out. We have an Instagram page coming soon. As well as please check us out for details on our first annual race coming up next month in January and how you can participate and or support. Thanks again for tuning into this weekend's episode and check us out next weekend as we share Natalie's story and how she is over two years sober and just completed her first 50 mile race. Thanks again and everybody stay healthy, stay fit, make sure you're doing this. One day at a time.